Welcome to the Retire While You Work podcast here in Nashville, Tennessee. We believe the concept of retirement in this country is fundamentally broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious moments. I'm David Adams. I'm Carson Odom. I'm Miles Zuger. And together, as a team of certified financial planner professionals and CPAs, we're committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset, using our three-bucket approach to managing money and finding creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join us as we discuss a variety of financial topics and ways to help us change the way we think about time and money and which one of these is the true currency. Hello, welcome. Today, I've got uh, Carson and Miles here with me from the office, and we're going to talk a little bit about real estate and the stock market, or more so real estate versus the stock market. What I mean by that is we have clients all the time asking us, you know, as wealth advisors, if they should put more money into real estate. And, you know, typically people in our industry are mostly advising on stocks and bonds and that sort of thing. And we we love real estate. I mean, that's something um, I know all three of us have a background in. So, Guys, let's share a little bit. Tell me, uh, Carson, start with you. Just, gosh, when you were a kid, did, did you grow up in a home? Did your parents own a home? Did they did they rent and that sort of thing? Yeah, for sure. I grew up ever since I can remember, my parents always owned their home. Um, I had a childhood home and then my dad being a contractor, they purchased a home that he was gonna remodel over a three or four year period. Um, and even in between that time while he was remodeling, remodeling it, they bought another house. So always home ownership um, was in my life. We never were at a point where we rented. So my parents, my background's always been with uh, owning real estate. What about you, Miles? Yeah, I would say the same. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Northwest Illinois and uh, my parents still live in that same house that I grew up in. Um, I think growing, oh, wow. up in a, growing up in a small town, it's always a little bit different. I think, um, you know, houses seem to be a little bit more affordable there for people. So not quite as much capital is needed to put that initial down payment down. So it seems like, um, you know, most people I think in a small town own a home versus rent just because it's a little bit more affordable to do so. I remember when Nashville was kind of a small town. <laughs> Definitely yeah, need a lot of capital uh, to keep up with this market. There's I, no $60,000 houses around here anymore. Yeah. I grew up, I mean, I grew up in, in Tennessee in a suburb of Memphis. Um, I remember my parents, yeah, we they owned, they owned their homes. Um, we always had one home at a time, so they never had rental properties. Um, but I do remember, I mean, I'm a little bit older than you guys growing up when their uh, mortgage yeah, rates, <laughs> easy, easy. Growing up when their mortgage rates were 13, 12, 13%. Um, so back in the late seventies, early eighties. So, um, something you guys haven't had a chance to see. And most no. of our clients in the last, that are homeowners in the last 10 years have been, I don't mean this in a negative way, but spoiled with interest rates low and low meaning anything really under six or 7%, I'd say is low. And cer certainly we've seen in the twos, the threes and the fours. Yeah, I don't think decade. our generation really realizes how big of an impact super low interest rates can have on our ability to buy homes. Um, it's pretty crazy how, yep. how big of an impact that has. What about, so my dad personally, I grew up and ever since I can remember, he had a rental property. He always had one rental property and at least my personal experience with it was it wasn't just a glorious, super expensive rental property. It was cash flowing, paying him rent. But I, I remember my dad always having to deal with 
renters that wouldn't pay rent. People oh, yeah. would move out and leave a ton of junk behind. And I, that was usually my role when I was a kid growing up was helping my dad get it ready for the next renters, cleaning the carpet, cleaning out refrigerator with a bunch of old food and nasty stuff in it. But yeah. um, he did own a rental property, so I was exposed to that when I was a kid growing up. Yeah, I personally have, as you guys know, I've done quite a bit of, of real estate, and my first um, my first attempt at doing a rental property, it was gosh, it was in the uh, Creve Hall um, kind of Nolensville area. Great property. I was really excited. It cash flowed for about a year and a half, and then what year was the flood? I think that was 2010. The Nashville the flood happened, and that took out the AC units. So they're like. $3,500 of cash flow I had that year was all gone repairing that. That yeah. wasn't covered by insurance. And then the tenant uh, stole the washer and dryer nice. <laughs> when they left and <laughs> left some holes in the drywall. So, um, yeah, I mean, not to, yeah, real estate, it's, it can be a great thing. And you know, those that have acquired five, 10, 20 rental properties and did it at the right time and got in at a good price and at a low interest rate and have cash flowed for all these years. They have built great wealth. And then there's also um, a lot of horror stories that you hear out there. Um, so our goal, I mean, as financial advisors is we think real estate holds a great place in a overall financial plan. Um, I just see it's like anything. When people go to one extreme, they have all their money in one or two stocks. That's a problem where they have all their money in cash, we would say that's a problem. If they have all their money in real estate and very little money that's liquid that they can get their hands on in an emergency, that's a problem. So the key is always finding that ideal, um, balanced, you know, balanced balance sheet, if you will, um, that kind of hits on all those different things, stocks, bonds, cash, and real estate. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, what about you, Miles? You have exposed to rental properties or anything? Yeah, I mean, growing up, my parents, they did not have any rental properties, but uh, my now wife, her dad is, is very into the rental market. I think he, they're, they're from Oklahoma City. I think he owns somewhere around 50 different rental properties. With some, 50? 50 no, with a few that. other people. Um, some of them low income, um, some of them, you know, more like single family type rentals, but something that he's very extensive in. And I've, since we've been together, I've, you know, really kind of picked his brain about that, just trying to learn a little bit more. Um, but these are houses like what, that are, 80, 90, $100,000 Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Oklahoma City, so again, compared to Nashville, it's much more affordable. Um, a lot of them are condos, so you know, I think he said back when he started buying them 10, 15 years ago, he was able to get a one bedroom, one bath, 600 square foot condo for $30,000. Now he's still able to get a few, depending on what side of town you're in. Say in the fifty or wow. sixty thousand dollar range, but I mean Oklahoma City's growing just like Nashville. Not as fast as Nashville, but it is seeing right. growth, and so those affordable properties are kind of starting to to disappear. But um, it's going to be interesting when you say affordable; it's all relative. You know, I look at Na a market like Nashville, and it almost seems like getting rental properties is out of touch because the cost of entry is that used to be a hundred or two hundred is now probably three, four, five hundred thousand to get it. A rental property anywhere within the city, but you know we may be sitting here having this conversation in ten years, references podcasts, and say, remember when we thought that was expensive, and yeah. now it's so right. it is all relative. <clears throat> um, what about the stock market? So we all have a background, I guess, in real estate, just different upbringings, that sort of thing. Um, I know a little bit about you guys in the stock market, but tell me, I want to hear it from from your mouth. Or I think for me, I don't really remember in my young years knowing anything about stocks and investments or IRAs for that matter or anything. I think my first 
exposure was like a high school economics class where each student got to pick like two stocks and you measure your performance and What'd you pick? somebody won you at the, I remember. Um, this is not, by the way, this is not a advice for stocks, <laughs> especially from high, uh, Carson's high school years. It, one of them was like Louis Vuitton, I think, or Bear nice. Bradley, one of the two. There was some company, <laughs> fashion company like that. Um, just zero idea what we were choosing. It was just a company, oh yeah, that sounds good. Um, but my first actual time I bought an investment was in college, I think. I actually got a brokerage account personally, and it was literally a few dollars where I bought one share of some stock. I don't even remember the name of it. Um, just And that was my first exposure to opening an account and That's buying best, an investment. That's the best way to learn. Yeah, just doing it on myself. I knew it was money that I viewed as, I'm not trying to get rich off of this, I'm just trying to learn. I was interested in the subject, so yep. open up a brokerage account. Um, yeah, that was me. What about you, Miles? Yeah, for me, it was something I was kind of always around. So um, growing up, I can remember my grandfather always in investing and trading in different stocks. It was something that he just enjoyed doing um, and kind of ran all on his own. He'd always ask me my opinions, and I'm sure the tips I gave him probably never really panned out, but... I always felt like he was trying to involve me in it and it's really kind of what led me to wanting to be in this career and help others um, invest their money. Um, but yeah, I'll say the first time I think I bought a stock was maybe sometime in college. I started putting a little bit of savings into just a regular brokerage account and just buying stocks and, and things that I knew. I think the first stock I maybe bought was Dunkin' Donuts or something like that. I guess I liked coffee and donuts at the time. So, <laughs> um, But I think that's a cool way for kids to start investing is just in products they own. I know a lot of Kids nowadays seem to be into like Apple or, or Nike or things that they, or brands that they wear or products that they own. It just kind of- Not that we're recommending those investments. Yeah. For compliance there. Just helps them to, uh, you know, feel like they own a part of something that, that they know yeah. and understand and use every day. I agree, I agree, yeah. For me, um, I was, I remember my, growing up, my dad would talk about his, his 401k at work. So that was really the only investing that uh, my parents did was through their 401k and I'd hear them talk about CDs. And I do remember CD rates mm. being 10, eight, nine, 10%. Never had one um, of those. Um, but for me, I was, I was trading baseball cards when I was like eight years old and that was kind of, and we had these little Beckett mag, are they still around? Beckett's? I, I remember being into baseball cards as well growing up. So they had Beckett mag, it was almost like a stock. It was called Beckett and you could look up, okay, Michael Jordan, 1986 Fleer or whatever, it's is worth $26 and you go trade with your friends. And hmm. um, we'd, my mom would buy me a pack of uh, cards after school each day for me and my friend. She um, kind of kept us after school and we'd immediately go through and take the value and keep a little, like, little spreadsheet. Interesting. So that point being, that kind of felt like what trading stocks is now. So that kind of led into then when I had my yard business, I think when I was 15, I opened an E-Trade account and I bought, I believe it was AOL was my first stock. Same thing like you, Carson, I just wanted to buy something and kind of watch it and, and learn. And similar to what we've been doing here recently, all three of us the last year with crypto, um, again, which we certainly can't talk about and recommend because <laughs> of compliance, but we can, it's a perfect example of, the best way to learn something is to get your feet wet and do it in a way that's not going to, you know, hurt you or your family if you buy the wrong stock or the wrong investment, that sort of thing. So yeah. that's how I learned and, and and then never looked back and I thought I wanted to be a stockbroker when I was 16. Um, I saw that, you know, I had visions of having a laptop and trading stocks on a beach somewhere and didn't really know how the industry worked. and. I'm very thankful that. That's not uh, what you do every day. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> Cute. I wish. Yeah, um, if you guys would carry your weight, maybe I could, right? That's right. All right. Um, let's not bring everybody into our family drama. That's right. Um, That's true. But, but really, but now, now the world it's you know, when it comes to wealth management is more about financial planning and advising. And so that's what I thought I wanted to be a stockbroker ended up being a financial planner. And, um, I love it. So let's talk about that. I mean, as, as speaking of financial planners, I mean, how do we, you know, how do, how do we th feel like the general public views real estate versus the stock market? And for us, I mean, we have hundreds of clients coming in every year. So we get kind of a, a first look at this. How would you guys, yeah. Would you guys say to that? I don't know. I always, I always feel like those. I feel like there's mixed opinions. I don't feel like there's one opinion just about whether or not real estate or the stock market's better. And we'll later we can get into numbers and which one is actually better over the long term because they all have their pros and cons. But I feel like it depends on what industry you're in and what you were born and raised around. For example, those who were born and raised into a family where they have a bunch of rental properties and whatnot, they may view as real estate as being the key to their long-term financial and a, and a lot of times people that love real estate, they yeah. despise the stock market. Right. Or it may have been that their mom or dad, um, you know, grew up during the Great De uh, Great Depression and they lost a lot of money in the stock market. And so, and then yeah. since then, their family only bought CDs and you'll see their children then come and say, gosh, we're just, the stock market's scary. We don't want to mess with that. Our parents lost everything. So yeah. you're right. It is a lot about how you were brought up and what you've seen, like anything in life. Yeah, right. I think I think kind of where you grew up too. Whether it's um, you know if you're in a small town, there's not quite quite the ability to build the wealth in real estate. And so, but in a bigger city like Nashville, like we are here, and the the growth that we've seen, um, it's a little bit easier to kind of build that real estate portfolio than in a small town. That's a good point. Yep, that's a good point. Um, do you think? So, just raising another question. Do you think people think they can make more money in real estate or stock market? Gosh, what do you I, think the general public kind of thinks? I think late. Idea? I think lately in Nashville, just again being localized here in Nashville, I think that um, people think real estate is a lot better than yeah. the stock market, which is ironic because the stock market's had a great few years as well. But right. but real estate's going crazy here. Um, I think that depends. I think it goes back to how you grew up and that sort of thing. Um, I do think it's no secret that long term, it's more people create can have created wealth, I believe, I don't know the exact stats, but just from talking to mentors and just books I've read, have created wealth, long-term wealth through real estate than stocks. But um, the, I guess the, the most wealthy people I've met and the people that I kind of respect the most and I've spent time with seem that they, that they had a good plan um, utilizing both. Maybe they had, you know, a primary residence, and then they had a family vacation home, and then they owned three or four rental properties, but they also had a few million bucks in the stock market as well. They saw the value in both, and I think there's wisdom in that. Um, but I think real estate, there's leverage in real estate where you can take a loan, you know, you put $100,000 down on a $500,000 property, and then the property appreciates 20%, you're getting a big return on your $100,000 investment because you're taking a loan out. People used to do that with the stock market back in the 70s and the 80s. They took these margin loans and stuff, um, and then the stock market would crash, and then they'd they they'd go belly up because stocks, unlike real estate, had things called margin calls where you had to come and you had to make good on that. Whereas a house, you could just kind of kind of write it out. So, I think that um, 
you know, as financial advisors, that is for us, we certainly, we certainly don't go and recommend that clients take loans to come selfishly and bring us money to put in the stock market. So that's why, right. that's what I think the big difference is. But I, I love them both for different reasons. There are times, uh, I mean, the last couple of years, they've both done great, but with stocks and, or just investing in the stock market, you have liquidity. You can click a button and depending on what you own, there's lots of investments, but usually within three, four or five days, you can have your money into cash when you own a bunch of real estate, if you have a 2008 type of year and real estate's down 30, 40%, you're, you're stuck, you don't have any liquidity. And so that's why each yeah. of them, and, and why cash is important on top of you know, yeah. real estate and stuff. Three buckets, yep, that's what it's all about. I'll I was, gonna, I was gonna add too, I think it comes back to how involved you wanna be in your investing. I mean, with real estate, that's more of a hands-on thing. And if you're handling the property management, et cetera, you're gonna be the one taking those late night calls, having to worry about AC units or HVACs going out, water leaks and things like that. And so, um, you know, if you're somebody that doesn't really want to worry about that, you're probably more more slanted to want to invest in stocks as well. That's right. And then, or you get a property manager, but then that really eats into your return. And now you're seeing property managers and, you know, and hot like vacation areas that are taken, I've seen as high as 25, 30, 35%. So that can really erode a lot of your cash flow. Yeah, exactly. And with that, I'm going to kind of read this stat that's pretty interesting and goes in line with what we were just talking about. It says, according to the National Council of Real Estate Investment Fiduciaries, as of the first quarter of last year, looking at the 25 return of private commercial real estate properties, so this is not residential. So this is a 25-year return? 25-year return for okay. commercial properties that were held for investment purposes, had an averaged annualized return of 10.3% versus the S&P 500, which was almost 10%. So looking at that, you zoom out, and nearly identical. And then you look at residential, and again, just above 10%. So between commercial real estate, residential real estate, the S&P 500, looking at a 25-year annual They all did return, about the same. Pretty much all about 10%. Um, and you look back through those periods, there were periods when real estate was doing awesome, and there were periods when the stock market and see, was doing awesome. And see, that's just it. That's actually, I didn't know that said. That's very interesting. So 20, you, you expand up, you know, 25 years, which we all say, everybody tries to say we're long-term investors, but we're all emotional beings. And we tend to look at, we have, you know, short-term bias, and we look at how things have done the last three to five years. So you blow it up over over 25 years, it's all about about 10%, but I, I would imagine there's been five-year periods where stock market was down 12, real estate was up 18, and something mm -hmm. else was down six, and then they flip-flop, and that's why the timing game is so, you know, drives people crazy and makes them- It's not up. timing the market, it's time in the market, what we always say. Nice, Carson. Yeah. Could somebody Did give this guy a raise? that quote by myself. Um, that's very interesting. So what the takeaway from that just being right. all three of them over time tend to get back to a certain, a mean kind of range of returns. And so owning all of them and appreciating them during different periods is the way to go. But what most people do tend to do is stocks are down for five years. They say, I don't like stocks anymore. They sell it at the worst time. They put it all in real estate. Then real estate has a correction, yep. that sort of thing. And sometimes they line up like 08 where everything was down right. and other times it's not the case. Yeah. And kind of like what we're talking about now, we're in a time where inflation's real and it's the first time inflation has been real in a long time. And literally what we've been talking about, the two ways you can combat inflation is real estate and the stock market. And as we see, having an average 10% rate of return over a long period of time that enables you to 
have a greater return than the inflation rate. Um, yep. And when we have high inflation rates at 6%, you've got to have a high-performing asset to beat out inflation. So. Yeah, and I think that's the bigger, I mean, without getting into particulars of the market right now, but that's the bigger risk I think we all know that we're facing over the next at least three to five years is is inflation that we're, we're, we're feeling now, but possibly going into a continued or hopefully not even hyperinflation. And again, yeah, you're right. The, the best assets for that are typically equities and real estate. Again, going back to what I said earlier, the reason some people have enhanced their balance sheet more with real estate is because of that leverage component. Right. So if you are going to do, here's some things we tell clients, if you are going to buy uh, let's say you want to go and buy your first two rental properties and you want to spend, you're targeting a price of $400,000. We would recommend typically that you put at least 25% down um, and maybe a little bit more if you're able, but if you're trying to you know, maximize your investment, maybe you put 100,000 down on a $400,000 property. Why? That 25%, A, it's gonna hopefully give you a, a better, more favorable interest rate on your loan, but more importantly, it's gonna give you a buffer. So if real estate has a 20% drop off of its highs, which we're at a high point now in real estate, um, it could go higher certainly, but it, we're at, at a higher inflection point. If it drops 20%, you've got a buffer in there because what happened in 2008, um, for those of you that didn't have real estate then, is people had one, 2% down uh, loans. And then the market fell, real estate fell 20%, 30, 40% if you were in Vegas and certain coastal territories. And they went upside down and it wrecked a financial plan. So we're always, as financial planners, saying, how do we put a client in a position where they're more bulletproof and we can protect them against the um, these these things that ruin balance sheets, which is typically not having enough cash or not putting enough down on a property. Anything y'all add to that? I think I think that was well said. Um, yeah, we can go and that kind of what we're going to talk about and to kind of summarize pros and cons of each. So certainly, there's pros of the stock market. There's cons as well as real estate. There's two sides of every equation. So um, pros of the stock market. I think one of the big ones is like we talked about liquidity. You can these days. You can have most stocks and mutual funds and ETFs. You could trade it one day and it takes a couple of days to settle and then you can have that money in your bank account. The whole transaction can be completed easily within a week. And you know at any given time what your stock is worth. You don't right, yeah. you don't with Life real estate. You don't necessarily yep. know that with the real estate. You yep. think you know, but it really right. you don't know. That's right. So liquidity is a big one with the stock market. What are some other pros? Cost of entry. I mean you can get started in stocks by just buying one share of a company. You That's don't need true. to, you know, have 20% for a down payment on it. You can take 500 bucks and buy a couple different stocks and, and get your feet wet and learn exactly. And um, diversification. So that's another pro of the stock market. You could buy uh, a big index fund or a big mutual fund. And like Miles said, with a small amount of money, 500 bucks, you could get exposure to literally hundreds of companies. That way you're extremely diversified and you're not taking just an excess amount of risk um, in just one stock or one right. company. Yeah, and then cons of the stock market being, um, I mean, the volatility in the stock market. And not that there's not volatility in real estate. That What I've noticed, the volatility in the stock market is just in front of your face every day on your phone all the time. Mm -hmm. So you constantly know, oh my gosh, I'm down 5% this week or I'm down, you know, Thirty thousand dollars, and it can it can bring up different emotions that I think real estate real estate investors are usually have they have they don't have to deal with that as yeah, much. Yeah. So you mentioned like a pro is like you always know the price of your stocks. You could almost 
call it a con. Um, you know, if you're uh, trying to be a long I wouldn't almost, I would 100% call yeah, it a con. Because if you're trying to be a long-term investor and you're yeah. constantly watching the movement of a stock price throughout the day, that can that can be that can take a toll there, on your. There were so many health. studies um, that we, that were done. It's been a while since I've seen one that used to say, you know, back when um, during certain periods when investors couldn't see, they didn't have online access to their accounts, and they only would get like a statement every month. Their time in the market and their you know their time in a certain holding was way higher than nowadays, where people just dump stuff like intraday. And then, of course, day trading became big as information flow became more accessible, that sort of thing. So yeah, I think that definitely is I would a agree con. with that. I think some of the most successful investors we see are the ones that aren't checking it out every day and knowing yep. exactly where their account balance is at. Yep. And we see uh, being financial planners with this, you know, working with different clients of different ages and different locations and backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. We see some clients that literally once a year they come in for their review and they just, you know, ask how they did and they, they put it in perspective and, want to check up on their cash and everything and they're good to go. And then others that, um, you know, check it every day and check in with us weekly. And a lot of times that's something we have to kind of coach them through and it's a process in the first six months. It's, you know, educating the client and us learning about them and that sort of thing so that we can have a productive relationship. So I do think that's one of the negatives of the stock market. Mm -hmm. Um, and then real estate, uh, other negative, I think that's, yeah, those are the big ones. I think the, the the pros being, like you said, mainly liquidity and ease of entry into it and to right. really get your feet wet and diversification and yep. the negatives being just information in front of you all the time and mm -hmm. almost to a point that it causes you to be a bad investor because sure. as humans, we're wired to fail at investing um, because we're emotional beings. We, we act on fear and greed. Mm -hmm. um, That's right. Now with real estate, pros of real estate, let's hit on some of the ones we've talked about today. Um, you want a hard asset. I mean, there's something yep. about owning a piece of dirt and a house and like, right. you know, like there's, there's a pride of ownership in that, that you don't necessarily sense when you own a stock. I mean, you do, it's just different. You, yeah, actually, you can own a, own a house and then put your hard sweat equity into it by yeah. remodeling it or getting it ready. Take the rent, kids so. on four wheelers, ride around the land. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of memories you create there. You're not probably yeah. creating memories by owning a share of Starbucks, yeah. that sort of or thing. Or it could be distant. You know, you could own a rental property that's on the other side of the country. And yeah, you have zero and participation really right. in the day to day, but but that'd be one of that just yeah. owning the hard asset. I think is good. Um, I mentioned the the leverage component, the fact that um, while unlike stocks, the cost of entry is higher into real estate. That actually be one of the cons. The, the the beauty of it is, you can go and take a a mortgage on it, and that's you know that's that's not frowned upon. That's a healthy way to do it, and then you get access to you know a five hundred thousand dollar property with maybe you know twenty percent down. And back in the day, very little down, but we're, you know, as financial planners, we talk, we think that's unhealthy, but you know, 10, 20, 25% down somewhere in there and you can have access to a nice property. And then 20 years from now, hopefully you're able to, you also then maybe you pay it off um, over time and it grows in value. So um, I would say leverage is probably the biggest pro to real estate. The lab, yeah. Yeah. And then of course the- Speaking from a guy over there, him and his wife just bought their first house about a year ago, right as the Nashville market was booming. That was pretty good timing. Good so. investment. It's all about luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then along with that, the cons, biggest one is probably liquidity. You can't sit there yep. and turn a piece of real estate into cash in three days. I mean, maybe you can. Um, I'm sure somebody's done it, but the everyday person can't sit here and sell up a piece of real estate yep. in under 14 well, to 30 days. And it's just a know? more complicated transaction. Yeah, having is. to, you know, paint it before, fix the HVAC, get a real estate agent, pay yep. commissions, um, 
um, have people come through your home, get out of your house, have your house clean and take the kids and the dogs and the animals, you know, out of the house and go stay in a home. I mean, there's all sorts of um, just tangible work that you have to do on a property that you don't have to do with stocks. Um, So, of course, pros and cons of of each one. And that's if you back up and if you're trying to tie a bow on a conversation of which one's better, real estate or the stock market, um, I think all of us would agree, um, y'all correct me if I'm wrong, that there's a place and a financial plan for both of them. Um, Absolutely, and that's why in our office every day we we go through our three buckets, we have our big whiteboard that we map it out, and the first thing we do is we ask clients how much cash do you have, then we go through how how much do they have in stock market, how much do they have in bonds, how much do they have in real estate, then when we get into real estate we look at how much do you have, how much equity do you have, meaning how much did you put down versus how much do you owe. We look at all those things, and that tells us a story and paints a pretty good picture of where there is a discrepancy and where things are kind of lopsided. And we'll tell a client, hey, you've done a great job. You've got, because you bought three properties and did it five, 10 years ago, you've now got a million five of equity in these three rental properties. Bravo. And we're, we're excited for that. But you've got $200,000 in the stock market. Ideally, if we're looking ahead 10 years from now, we would like to try to balance those numbers out. And we'll walk them through how to do that. And that may mean we start putting five or $10,000 a month into the stock market, not to not sell their properties and take all that money out and put it in the stock market, but how do we build and satellite around what they've already built with real estate? And then vice versa, if somebody has all their money in their 401k or the stock market and they want to test the waters with real estate, we're okay saying maybe we take out $100,000 out of your stock portfolio with us and put it down on a property to kind of meet that goal. So. Yeah, I agree with all that. Good summary. All right, well, that was some, some good information. Thanks, Miles and Carson. Uh, good information about pros and cons of the stock market and real estate, our experiences and background with that and kind of how we address that with clients here in our office. If you have any questions, as always, reach out to us. We'd be happy to help, and I'm sure we will be revisiting these top topics here soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Retire While You Work podcast. I'm David Adams, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. Any opinions are those of myself and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in these podcasts do not purport to be a complete description of the securities market or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Every investor situation is unique and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional.